Thanks for joining us for the Sermon of the Week. You can find out more information about Legacy Church online at LegacyFamily.tv. All right, well, we've been talking about slaying giants for a few weeks now, and it's been good, hasn't it? Man, I've, I missed last week because we were doing the youth up there, but we talked about it up there too, and it's just been, uh, it's just been good. You know, giants can be sickness, it can be uh, depression, it can be, it, can, it can be literally anything that holds us back from being who God called us to be. It can be an addiction, it can be a hurt where somebody just hurt you. Those things can all feel like giants in our lives. And none of us are immune to giants. You know, none of us are immune to that. that we, we are, we're all going to have stuff come up in our lives that are going to face us down, and we have to make the decision, am I going to let this giant control me, or am I going to slay this thing? It's totally up to us how that goes down there. Um, and the good news is, is there's not a single giant <coughs> out there. Do you need a, if you need a, the notes, lift up your hands. I'm sorry, I completely skipped over that. Usually I got people waving at me, and I just completely missed that, so I'll give you all a second there. All right, everybody got notes who needs them? All right. Thanks to Jesus, um, man, we've been given the tools and the weapons that we need uh, to come out victorious over any giant that ever faces us down. As a believer who, who believes the word of God, who stands in faith, there's literally not a giant that can overcome us if we don't let them. It's totally up to us as far as that goes. And we need to, we need to use our faith uh, to grab a hold of, to take hold of literally every uh, promise that God has, has for us. If you read through the word of God, he's made us a promise. We need to grab a hold of every promise he has for us. And that's how we take down giants. That's how we do that. And this morning, I want to talk about those giants a little bit more. This is actually the last day of this series. Uh, so we're going to wrap this up today. But I just want to hit a few more things here. Uh, I want to show you one thing that all giants have in common, because there's one common trait they all have. And I think when you see this, this is going to make you look at them very differently. And we're also going to talk about what to do once you've actually slain your giant, because that's important too. We need to know what we do after that thing's dead and gone, and that's what we're going to hit on this morning. So uh, the first thing I want you to see, and this is, this is a common trait that literally every giant has, is our giants are scared of us. Every one of them, they're, they're scared of us. Uh, too many times we're scared of our giants uh, because we're more focused on them uh, than we are on who we are and who God is to us. You know, we're more focused on them. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, when I was in college, um, they, one of the, I, had a, I think it was a sports psychology class. I was trying to remember this morning what class it was, and I think it was sports psychology. And one of the things we did in that class is we went to a high ropes course. And if you've never been to a high ropes course, basically um, it's a place where they have different rope structures strung out about telephone pole height up above the ground there, and you're supposed to climb up there and do stuff. And it's, it's different for every one of them. Uh, and I remember at the, at the one I went to, the, the very last thing you had to do is there was a telephone pole, and it had just the, 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 the metal things in the side to climb up this telephone pole. And basically the, the objective of this, this aspect of the course is you're supposed to climb up this pole, stand on top of the pole, so you have to maneuver from standing to stand on top of the pole. And then about five or six feet away, there's a pole hanging, and you're supposed to jump from the top of that pole and try to catch onto the pole that's hanging there. And, and I did that. You know, I, I was scared of heights back then. I still did it. And I, I learned as I was up there, as I was standing there getting ready to jump, you know, if you thought about how, fall, how high up you were and you looked at the ground and thought about falling, that was terrifying. You know, it was really scary while you were up there. But then if you took your focus off of that and focused on the fact that I got this really nice harness on me right now and I got a really well-trained person down there holding me, making sure that nothing bad's happening, the fear kind of left because I, I realized, hey, I was in good hands or that person was watching out for me. And it's the, same way, it's the same way with us when we're taking down giants. If all we do is focus on the giant, it's going to be scary. It's going to be intimidating. But if we focus on the fact that God's got us, he's right there with us, that fear just starts to leave. And it's not 
us that's supposed to be afraid. It's the giants that are afraid. And I'm going to show you that. I'm going to give you a couple examples from the scripture about that. And uh, the first thing, the first place we're going to see that is in the story of Joshua. Uh, Now, most of us, if you grew up in children's church, you know the story of Joshua already. Um, But Moses and the Israelites, they basically leave Egypt, and basically God told them, hey, I got a promised land for you. I got a place that you're going to. I got a promised land. I got this place I want to take you to. And literally, it should have just been a short trip across the desert to get there. And uh, most of us know that the, that they, the, the Israelites, they leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and they head towards their promised land, and they get to the promised land there. And Moses makes the decision to send in 12 spies. He sends in Josh and Caleb and Zach. No, I mean, he sends in Joshua and Caleb and the, and the, tw- and the other 10 spies there. And they go, they go in and check out the land. And, man, it's everything God said it would be. And it's just beautiful. They, they call it a land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, they they described the, the grapevines there. And they said the, the grapevines were so big to carry a cluster of grapes, they had to have two guys have a pole between them and carry these grapes that way. That's, I mean, this is just a beautiful place, amazing place. It's literally everything God said it would be. The only problem was is when they got there and started looking around, they saw some giants in the land there. They saw some really big, scary-looking people. And I was thinking about that earlier this week, actually, thinking about that story. And something God spoke to me is that there's almost always giants between you and your promised land. If there's, a, if there's a promise that God's made you, if there's some kind of a promise in the word that he says, I want you to have this, there's almost always some giant you have to overcome to get there uh, because that's just how life is. But remember what I said, we're talking about slaying giants. There's not a giant out there that can keep you from that. So just keep that in mind as we're going through this. Uh, the word of God says that God's given us great and precious promises. Uh, the word of God says that he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's literally given us everything that we need. And, that's a, and it's, up to, it's up to us to receive those things by faith and to not let those giants keep us from having what God has for us. So keep that in mind. We need to know that. And that's exactly what happened with the, with the Israelites. We need to make sure that we're more focused on God than the, than the giants, and the Israelites did not do that. We know this story, but I just want to keep on hitting it here. Uh, the, 12, the 12 spies come back, and, and Joshua and Caleb say, hey, this is an amazing place. Let's go in here and take this place. Uh, but then those 10 other spies say, there's giants in the land. We can't do this. And there's basically those, those 10 guys convince a whole nation of people that God lied to them. Those 10 guys convinced a whole, a whole generation of people that what God promised was wrong. That basically God, God, sure, God said we could have this land, but there's giants in the land and we can't take it. So basically they were calling God a liar. That's what they were doing when they said that. And because of that, that entire nation of people had to wander the desert for 40 years. You know, they basically had to wander around and, and until a whole generation died off. That's what had to happen there. A little piece of advice here. When it comes to taking down giants, take God's advice over everyone else's. I don't, I, don't care if, I don't care if Dr. Phil tells you something. I don't care if your granny tells you something or if the majority tells you something. If you take a vote and this is what most people say, if it's different than what God's telling you to do, always go with what God's telling you to do because he knows what he's talking about. He can see the bigger picture better than we can. So, so now, let's, now let's fast forward 40 years. We're going to fast forward 40 years and basically a whole generation has died off. Moses is dead and Joshua is the new leader of the Israelites. And like I said, you guys know this story, but it's just so good. And he hasn't forgotten about the promised land. So he sends in two spies. I think he figured out that 12 is too many because you get too many opinions. So he hands mix two people and sends two spies in. And while they're, air, while they're in there, they get, a, they get help from a lady named Rahab. Man, I'm trying to spit that word out here. And check out what she says in Joshua 2 and verse 8. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them, but we're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. So basically, this was was a land where 40 years ago, they were scared of taking the land because there were giants in there. And what Rahab just said here is that for 40 years, we've been afraid of you guys. 
We've been afraid of you guys. This, this was the land of giants. This is the land where the giants were at. And they were afraid of the Israelites that entire 40 years they were out there. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that sad that a generation had to miss out on their promised land because they were afraid of somebody who was afraid of them? You know, how crazy is that 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 was? And, and, and why were those giants afraid? In, in verse 10, it says, For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. This is the land of giants here. And it says their hearts have melted in fear and nobody has the courage to fight anymore. It says, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So basically those giants recognized that God was with the Israelites. These giants that they've been scared of for 40 years were scared of them because they recognized God is with these people. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And they basically knew that with God on the side of the Israelites, they didn't have a chance. And we, can, we need to pull from that. We need to recognize that God's always with us. He's on our side. Greater is in he who's in us than he who's in the world. So we got God with us even more so than the Israelites did here. And you got this blank on your paper there. Us plus God is bigger than any giant we're ever going to face. You know, it's not, even, it's not even close. It's not even a fair competition. When we've got God on our side, we're bigger than any giant that's ever going to come up, ever oppose us. I don't care how scary it looks at that moment. When we got God with us, we're, we're greater than what that giant facing us down is. And to really drive this point home, I want to jump ahead just a little bit further here. You know, Joshua and, and the Israelites, after the spies come back, they start heading towards their promised land because Joshua's not letting anybody hold them back from that anymore. And to get there, they have to cross the Jordan River. And the scripture actually says the Jordan River is at flood stage. Now, I, I live close to where the new river's at. And I've seen the new river at flood stage quite a few times in my life. And it's impressive when a river gets up like that. I mean, you, see tree, you can see whole trees floating down the river, trees and garbage and just all kinds of crazy stuff floating by there. And, and personally, after seeing what a river looks like at flood stage, I wouldn't want to cross that thing in a boat. And yet here they are, they're getting ready to have to cross this thing with no boat. I mean, a whole nation of people is having to walk across this thing. That's just what they've got to do. So basically what Joshua does is he, have the, he has the priest get the Ark of the Covenant, and he says, okay, you you guys walk out first and, you know, send the priest in there first. Isn't that just like people to send the pastors out there first, make them do it. But anyways, he sends the priest out there first with the Ark of the Covenant. And as they're stepping out there, it says literally the moment that their foot touches the water, it actually says the whole river backs up and basically they're able to cross on dry land. I mean, that's just amazing right there. Basically the, the priests walk out with the Ark and they go out there and they stand in the middle of this river. And the whole time they're standing out there, it's bone dry. Like literally the moisture got sucked out of the ground and it backed up the river there. And it says the moment that all after all the people had crossed over and the priest went over and stepped back on the land there, it says it was back at flood stage again. So that water just came rushing back. It's just a really supernatural thing. But I want to, the reason I told you all that is I want you to check out the reactions of the people currently living in the promised land. Remember, these are giants. In Joshua 5.1, it says, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River just then. It says, so the people of Israel could cross. It says, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. So these were their giants. These are the, the ones that they wandered the desert for for 40 years, scared of. And it says here that they were, they were scared of them. They were literally paralyzed with fear. The, the Israelites had spent 40 years afraid of something that was afraid of them. I mean, this is just mind-blowing to think about this. And we can see it one more time as the Israelites approached Jericho in Joshua 6.1. It says, now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. 
Are you, noticing a, are you noticing a pattern here? When God's on your side, whatever enemy you face, whatever giant you face, whatever's coming up against you, when you recognize who you are and who God is to you, those giants are afraid of you. You know, the only time they're not afraid of you is when you don't realize who you are and you don't enforce, you don't enforce your authority. Every, every, every giant that we face is backed by an enemy that's afraid of us because we're backed by God. I don't care what it is. Every, every single giant we face is afraid of us because we're backed by God. We don't have to be afraid of giants like bad habits or addictions uh, ruin our lives or trying to take us out early um, because he who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, we need to, that's scripture. We need to know that. Uh, we don't have to be afraid of giants like cancer or COPD or leukemia or anything like that because by the stripes of Jesus, we're healed and every bit of sickness has to leave our bodies when we enforce the authority that we have. Uh, we don't have to be afraid of giants like hurt and depression because our God heals the brokenhearted. And even though it may hurt for just a moment there, when we keep our attention on him or focus on him, we're gonna come through that thing with overwhelming victory. That's, that's how that's gonna work out. There will always be giants between us and the precious promises that God has for us, um, but never be afraid. We don't ever have to be afraid because we've got God on our side. We've got God backing us up. He's right there with us through it all. Uh, let's look at another example from the New Testament. I like, always like to bounce back and forth on that, but I, I really want to drive it home that our giants are afraid of you because I think so many people, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people all the time, and a lot of people, when giants attack, when we have these big things come up, come up in our life, so many times our initial reaction is fear and worry. And I just want to really drive it home that we don't have to fear and worry because we've got God on our side, and it's actually that giant that should be afraid and worried about us. That's how it should be. That's how, that's how God set it up to be. Uh, to, to tell you what's happening here, Jesus and the disciples have been crossing, uh, crossing the uh, lake. And it's the story we know where they're crossing the lake and, and Jesus is asleep in the boat and the, and the big old storm uh, breaks out in the middle of the lake there. And basically the disciples are panicking and Jesus is there sleeping like a baby, one translation says. And the disciples wake him up and say, hey, you know, we're getting ready to die here. You got to help us out. Jesus you know, speaks to the storm, says, peace be still. It talks about their lack of faith. And then the next morning they're on the other side of the lake there. This picks up at that point. So in Mark chapter five and verse one, it says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes, is my best guess on that. It says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. Now, I know there's a really good chance that, that most, of, most of us here or most of you with kids are going to get to experience a snow day tomorrow. And I'd say there's a good chance by the end of the tomorrow that you're going to feel like your kids are possessed by an evil spirit. But that's not what this is talking about here. This, this, is, this is a real giant right here. So basically, th this guy has completely lost the ability uh, to make decisions. And we're going we're gonna to see that in the next few verses. In verse 3, it says, This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I was thinking about this scripture a few weeks ago, actually. I was actually driving to church, and God was just kind of talking about this scripture. And something really jumped out at me. Uh, who do you think it was that put those chains and shackles on him? It was probably his neighbors. Uh, it was probably his family. Because, you know, back then, people didn't really travel as much as we do. But it was probably the people who knew him best that were trying to chain him up and trying to shackle him. And I was thinking about that, and what God showed me is that instead of trying to help him defeat his giant, they were trying to put him in even more bondage. They were trying to put even more stuff on them. And when I, he, he kept on talking about that, and he said, when we help people, we need to ask ourselves, is what I'm telling them putting them in more bondage, or is it pointing them towards the freedom that Jesus has for them? 
I'd, I'd never seen that in that scripture before, and God showed me that while I was driving. I just thought that was the coolest thing. We need to know, are we putting them in more bondage? Are we pointing them towards the one that paid the price for their freedom? And when they come to him, that stuff just starts to fall off of them. It's not something we have to do, or you don't have to get cleaned up before you come to church. First, just come, and when you encounter God, that stuff will just start to fall off of you. So it totally changes our perspective on how we handle stuff like that. We're, we're carriers of that freedom everywhere that we go. You know, as a, as a believer who knows who we are in Christ, who knows what God's done for us, who knows that we're his kid and he's our dad, as we know that, uh, that we carry that freedom with us everywhere, and we can pass it out to people everywhere we go. We're not supposed to carry bondage with us. We carry freedom with us. So um, let's, let's keep reading. That was just a little freebie right there. In uh, verse 5, it says, Day and night this guy wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with, a, with sharp stones. You know, self-harm is a giant that a lot of people face. I know it's, it's one we don't talk about a whole lot, but a lot of people face that. And that can be like physical things like cutting, or it can be things like just despising who you are. It can be, man, I hate myself. I'm a nobody. Nobody cares about me. I'm never going to do anything big with my life. That's self-harm too when we speak that kind of stuff over ourselves. But I just want you to see, and we're going to see in this guy's life, that's a giant that can be slain. Literally anything that makes us feel like less than who God created us to be um, means it has to go. That's a giant that we're going to take down, and that's, what we're that's why we're talking about this. That's why we're talking about slaying giants. And then in verse 6, it says, When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Man, I love that scripture. This, this guy was somebody who'd been rejected by everybody that he knew. I mean, literally every time someone got close to him, they were trying to chain him up. That's literally what was happening in his life. So you know this, he, he wasn't somebody who just ran up to people. You know that wasn't part of what he did. He didn't just naturally run up to everybody because people were trying to lock him up all the time. But there was something different about Jesus. I just I love this when, he, when this story because he was drawn to Jesus, and I'm betting he didn't even know why he was, but he was just drawn to Jesus. And when we're representing Jesus to the world around us, People are going to be drawn to us the same way this guy was drawn to Jesus. They, they're going to come to us and not even know why they're coming to us, but they just know they have to get around us. And they don't know it, but we have the freedom that they need, and that's why they're going to come to us there. So, But let's get back to seeing how our giants, I keep getting sidetracked. Let's get back to how our giants are afraid of us. In verse 7, it says, With a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. So this guy is an evil spirit, and the, and the evil spirit is begging Jesus not to torture him. That tells me he's afraid of Jesus. Think about that. Remember, our giants are afraid of us. It says, for Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. So basically, uh, the, the evil spirit was, was begging Jesus not to torture him. It was terrified of him. You mention an evil spirit to a lot of Christians, and they get in fear. You know, you, people, get, people get weirded out by that stuff. But when we're representing Jesus, when a Christian realizes the authority that we have with the name of Jesus, with the authority that he's given us, um, those evil spirits are just as afraid of us as they are of Jesus. And we have no reason to ever be afraid when we walk in the knowledge of that. So just keep that in mind. And then verse 9, it says, Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. So this isn't just one evil spirit. This is a whole bunch of them. And they're still terrified of Jesus, even though there's a whole bunch of them in there. I said this earlier, but us plus God is bigger than any giant out there. There literally could have been a million evil spirits inside this guy, and they still would have been terrified of Jesus because when God's on our side, man, there's nothing bigger. I don't care, how, I don't care if literally every, the, the devil himself and every one of his buddies comes and shows up. When you got God on your side, we're still bigger than he is, and we need, we need to know that. Uh, that we, because he approached them as a man empowered by the Holy Spirit who was using his God-given authority, the enemy was afraid of him. 
And when we, when we approach life as a, as, a, as a person, empowered by God, filled with the Holy Spirit, our, every enemy we face is afraid of us too. We need to know that. We have that kind of authority. Uh, he didn't get in fear. Uh, Jesus didn't get in fear. He didn't, he didn't try to put more bondage on this guy. He basically just showed him the freedom that was available to him. And I love it because he basically tells the evil spirits to go, and we know the story, they go in the pigs and all that stuff, but they do, but I wanna, I wanna show you the end result down here in verse 15. It says, a crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. So this guy who had been running around, cutting himself, running around, howling at people, uh, running around, breaking chains every time he was chained up, it says here, after he encountered Jesus, that was such a life-changing thing for him that he was completely free, like free in a minute there, free in an instant. You know, with God, freedom doesn't take a long time all the time. Sometimes it just happens immediately like that. And uh, it's such an immediate change that he goes from doing all that stuff to wanting to go around with Jesus everywhere. The scripture actually says he comes to Jesus and said, hey, man, this is awesome. I want to come with you everywhere that you go. And Jesus... Jesus says, I'll tell you what, I don't want you to come with me. What I want you to do is go to all the people around you. Go to these people that were chaining you up. Go to these people that were seeing you howling and, and cutting yourself, and I want you to tell them how I set you free. And that's what he does. I just, it's such an immediate change, such a life-changing life moment for this guy, and that happens all because Jesus recognized that he was, a, he, was a, he was a man given the authority of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who could deal with that giant in this guy's life. And we need to know that we are too. We don't have to be afraid of giants. We don't have to be afraid of what comes against us. And as, as we take down giants, as we take down giants in our life, just like with this guy, what he did ministered to people around him, basically what, when, when giants are, are taken down in your life, that's gonna minister to people around you too. People are gonna see that, see that you're free from that thing now, and they're gonna say, what happened there? And you talk about an open door to tell people about the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. When they see those giants falling in your life, when they see you overcoming and coming through with overwhelming victory, like that one scripture says, when you come through with overwhelming victory, they're going to see that, and they're going to say, I don't know what's different about you, but I, I, I need that in my life. I'm dealing with some stuff myself. How did you get free from that? Man, we can help them out when we do that. That's what it's all about right there. So um, people are going to see you, uh, see the freedom you have, and it's going to speak to them. We need to know that. Um, it's going to tell them, hey, I, I can get free from my giants. I can get free from the things that hold me back. If, if, if giants are scared, of, are, are scared of you guys, why can't, the, my, why can't my giants be scared of me too? You know, basically, it's an attitude change. I talked about that Wednesday night, so I'm not going to talk about that again. But it's an attitude change. We have to get an attitude. We're going we're gonna to stand on God's word and, and get our focus off of these things that try to pull us away from God. Get our focus off of those things. So now that, we, now that we've spent the next, the past three weeks talking about slaying giants, that's what we've been talking about. We know, we know our giants are scared of us. What's next? Because I'm, I'm assuming that we've had, some, we've had some giants slain in here in these past few weeks. I, I'm assuming that some people in here have had some issues that they dealt with, and they're living in that freedom now because that's just how God's word works. God, God wouldn't put that on Pastor Brett's heart if he wasn't one that set some people free from that. Uh, so what do we do once those giants are dead? Uh, have any of you guys ever had a dog before? Any of you guys? Okay. I think we got some people lying in here because I, I know some of you have dogs who weren't raising their hands. Daniel? Anyways, we... We, we know we got, if you've ever had a dog and they try to grab something that, that they weren't supposed to have, what do you say? Drop it or no, or how about leave it? You ever had to tell a dog, leave it before? That's the next blank on your paper there. My dad has a, has a, um, has a dog. She's a, like a yellow lab mix. Her name's Molly. 
And um, Molly's a pretty good dog for the most part, but she likes to take off running. So when she gets walked, she gets walked on a leash because she runs and doesn't come back. She just keeps on going when she gets her freedom, like we should. But anyways, that's another story there. But in, in, in the yard there, uh, around, around my dad's house there, um, there's... Uh, a lot of deer that like to congregate there. He doesn't allow hunting on his land, so it's like a deer sanctuary. So, so pretty much every night when you drive in there, you have like four or five deer that get up and take off running out of the driveway just because they recognize this is their safe place. Uh, the other side of this being a deer sanctuary and a safe place for them is that there's deer poop everywhere. I mean, you literally can't take a step through that yard without seeing piles of deer poop everywhere. And where I see piles of deer poop everywhere, when, you see, when you're walking Molly, Molly sees a buffet line. She sees a yard-sized buffet line of, of just snacks everywhere, just different, fl- different flavors, and that's, that's what she sees when she sees this thing. So if, if she gets her focus on all those little piles everywhere when you're walking in the yard, you're just over and over, leave it, leave it, don't t- spit that out. I mean, you're just over and over again, you're just having to tell them to leave those piles of poop where they're at. And once, once our giants are dead, once we've slain those things, we got to leave them. We have to leave them where they're at and not pick them back up again because that's what a lot of people do. A lot of people, have, a lot of people, their giants are dead and at some point their giants get put back on them again and they start carrying those things around. And uh, that's, that's not always the easiest thing. We don't need to do that. That's not, we don't need to do that. And there's two main ways that giants try to come back from the dead. Two main ways they try to do that. First of all, uh, the people around us won't let them die. And, and, and we're, I'm gonna give you some examples of what that looks like here. But sometimes, sometimes people around us have a hard time seeing us for who we are now. Especially our families and people like that, a lot of times all they can see is who we used to be. All they can see is back when we were dealing with that giant. All they can see is that giant in our lives, and and they have a hard time looking past that. Um, All they can see is who we are and where we came from, and, and Paul's a great example of that. You know, Paul, Paul was awesome. I mean, Paul literally wrote like two-thirds in the New Testament and just had some amazing miracles happen, saw a lot of people get saved, was a big part of spreading the gospel around the world during his, during his time period there. But that's not how it always was. I want to look at one of Paul's giants uh, so we can see what he had to overcome. And keep in mind, at this point, he still goes by Saul. God hadn't changed his name yet. So in Acts 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So basically, this was one of his giants. He had just been a part of Stephen getting killed and stoned to death, and he loved it. He actually really enjoyed that that happened, and he said, that was a lot of fun. I want to kill a lot more Christians. You know, that that sounds like a giant to me, and this was definitely a giant in his life. Um, But that's not the end of his story. We know that we we know the story's on the Damascus Road, and, and Jesus just meets him in a really big supernatural way, says, why are you persecuting me? And he gets saved and gives gives his life to God, and it says almost immediately he starts preaching. So he starts he starts preaching God's word, and and that's awesome. I mean, no doubt there were believers back then who'd been praying for him. They'd been praying that this exact thing, this exact thing would happen. And, and surely all the believers would believe that, that, you know, that Paul was a changed person and this, that thing was dead and just accept him for who he was now. Surely that's what believers who had been praying for him would be believing here. And we see in verse 26, they, they're not quite so convinced. It says, when Saul, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. So they were, they were basically picking up his giant. You know, his giant was dead over here, who he used to be. You know, that, that guy who went around trying to murder and arrest Christians, he was dead over here. And basically what they were doing is they were picking him up and basically shoving him right back in Paul's face again, saying, this is still who you are. That's what they were trying to do, is, is, is basically say, this, nothing ever changed. Have you ever had that happen before? 
You tried to work on an area or grow in, grow in an area or become somebody different, and yet the people that you were closest to at one point in your life, all they can see is who you used to be. You know, that, that's that basically what they're doing there is they're taking that giant and throwing it back in your face there. Man, don't take it. Because there's going to be a temptation there when that happens. There's going to be a temptation there to say, well, I I tried so hard to get free from this. I tried so hard to deal with that. And they can't see me as different, so why do I even try anymore? You know, there's there's a temptation to do that. But do not give in to that temptation. Do not pick up that giant again. Um, they They can't see who you are now because all they remember is who you were. But don't pick up that giant when they throw it in your face. It even kind of happened with Jesus. The same thing going to happen to Jesus too. You know, he, when his ministry started, he was going all over the place and just talking about the kingdom of God and miracles were happening everywhere. And it was just amazing when he was starting to do that ministry. And he was just seeing that stuff. I mean, people were amazed by his wisdom when he taught too. Like they, they saw him as he taught. They were like, man, this wisdom doesn't come from anybody natural. This comes from God. They were just amazed by everything he did. Until one day uh, when he got around some people who knew him when he was growing up. Until he got around some people who knew him when he was a young person. Uh, In Mark 6 and verse 1, it says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So these were his people. These were the people that knew him. These were the people who knew him with his brothers and sisters and knew him with Mary and Joseph and knew him as he was growing up. These were the people who knew him better than anybody else you would think. So you would think this would be a good thing. These would be people who would be really receptive to how God was using them now. Well, in verse 2, it says, then the next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So notice, as he's teaching here, they see great wisdom in what he's saying. They're, they're recognizing there's great power in him to perform miracles. They, they're seeing exactly who he is. They're seeing how's God, how God empowered him. Um, they, they're seeing there's something special about him. They could, they could see that there was more to him than what they saw when he was a kid. They're recognizing there's something different about him. And after all, man, he was Jesus. Of course they could see this kind of stuff in him. But check out their reaction after seeing and hearing all that. In verse 3, it says, Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, and Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. And it says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. How amazing is that? They, they heard the wisdom as he taught. They saw the power as he performed miracles. And yet because they saw him as a kid, because they knew his family, they refused to believe in what he was doing. They, were, they, they actually says they were deeply offended by what he was doing. And it wasn't, and Jesus, Jesus never sinned. You know, Jesus lived a perfect life. It wasn't like they remember what a terrible kid he was. You know, he lived a perfect life there. And yet despite all that, they still could not believe that he had changed into something different than what he was when he grew up. So they just didn't, they couldn't grab a hold of that. Um, Jesus recognizes how they're reacting and check out what he says. In verse four, it says, then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own family. So basically what he's saying, it's harder to convince the people who have known you a really long time that you've changed, especially if, if that giant was maybe an addiction or a bad habit or something that, they, that, that you've been dealing with for a long time there. Those people who knew you then are going to have a really hard time for realizing that you've moved on. And when they see you, there's a good chance that every time they see you, they're going to go over here and pick up that giant and try to set them up right back in front of you again so that that's all they can see you through is that giant in front of you there. But don't take the bait. Don't take it. Don't grab a hold of that. Don't decide, well, I'm going to go back to that because that's all they can see. Uh, Don't give in to that. Instead, just continue to love those people. 
You know, even if they can't see that you've changed, even if they can't see that you're different, uh, just continue to love those people anyways and leave that giant dead. Don't go pick them up. Don't let them, throw, don't let them throw that thing in your face. Just leave it dead. If they, if they come around one day and see how much God's impacted you, how much he's changed you, that's awesome. If they don't, and you can't do anything about that. All you can do is be who God's called you to be. Don't let that stress you out. Just keep going after God. And, um, and that's not on us if they don't come around on that. Just don't pick up those giants again because people around you will try to throw those in your face. They'll try to remind you of who you were when you were younger. Don't grab that bait. Remember, we're free from that. We've slain those giants. Leave it. Leave it. Just like those piles of deer poop, just tell yourself to leave it. If that temptation's there, go look at yourself in the mirror if you have to and point at yourself in the face and say, leave it. You know, whatever you got to do. You know, no, never mind. I'm not going to say that. I had a thought pop in my head and I had, to, I had to put that back. So anyways, so basically the people around us can try to mess us up like that. On, on top of that, uh, the voices in our head won't let them die too. That's, that's another blank on your paper there. You know, maybe, maybe you're a giant with some sickness. Maybe that's a giant you dealt with and you just got supernaturally healed and it was awesome. Um, but then one day, a few weeks or a few months after that, you start to have a little symptom start to pop up. And it's kind of similar to what you, what you got healed from a few months ago. And then all of a sudden you hear that voice in your head that says, I'm back. You know, all of a sudden that pops in there and says, I'm back again. You know, you, you weren't really healed. It's coming back again. At that moment, we have to make a choice. We, at that moment, we have to decide how we're going to handle this. Do we get in fear, and do we just welcome that giant back in like it was before, or, or do we do something about it? How are we going to handle that? It's up to us how that goes. You know, nobody can make us do anything. It's up to us how we're going to handle that giant. And 2 Corinthians 10 tells us exactly what we need to do. In verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And in verse 5, it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So that's exactly what we need to do right there. It says that when those thoughts come in that are opposite of what God's been telling you, that are opposite of God's plan for us, that are opposite of his purpose and his destiny for each one of us, it says there we need to take those thoughts captive. We don't just welcome them in and say, all right, come on in. You have a good time. Just, you know, don't break anything. We don't do that. It says we actually have to take them captive the moment that those thoughts come in, whether it's us or whether it's the enemy putting those thoughts in our head, whichever way it goes, we need to immediately take that thought captive and say, wait a second here, I'm going to take you captive and I'm going to make you line up with what the, word, what the Word of God says. It says we have to bring it to obedience of Christ, which when that thought says, well, that sickness is coming back, we have to say, wait a second, because of Jesus, the, the price for my healing was paid. Because of Jesus, by, by his stripes, I'm healed. Because of Jesus, he redeemed me from the curse of the law, which included every sickness and disease out there. So because of that, you don't have permission to operate in my head. You don't have permission to get me fear. So I'm taking you captive, and I'm just going to spend a, a little bit of time here focused on healing scriptures. We're just going to do everything we can to fill ourselves up with what God's word says so we don't get in fear about what that thought and that enemy is trying to say there. You see how that works there? And that applies for everything. You know, that applies to maybe, maybe you and Maybe you've got some emotional hurt that happened. It works the same way. You, you find scriptures that talk about how God's, God heals the brokenhearted. And you start to meditate on those and say, wait a second, even though this says that I'm always going to hurt, that I'm always going to have the same pain, just like when it very first happened, uh, when those thoughts come in that say things are never going to be the same, are never going to be good again, I'm going to be de have to deal with this depression forever. When those thoughts come, we have to take that thing captive and say, wait a second, Jesus heals my broken heart. So even though this may hurt for just a moment here, because he heals my 
my broken heart. I'm taking that thing captive. It's not going to control my life, and I am going to come through this. I'm going to come through this thing victoriously. And that's how we, that's what we got. It's something we got to do on purpose. So many people, we go through life, and we just take whatever comes. Something pops in our head, and we just accept it and say, that's how it is. But we have to take these thoughts captive on purpose and say, I'm controlling my thoughts. Mind, you don't get to control my thoughts. The enemy, you don't get to control my thoughts. I control my thoughts. And because of that, I'm going to take every thought that doesn't line up with God's word and God's plan and God's purpose for me. I'm going to take that thing captive, and I'm going to live free from that. That's what we got to do every single time there. Maybe, maybe we haven't been able to get free from our past. You know, Maybe we're somebody who we just have a past that we're ashamed of, and there's all just all kinds of stuff that holds us back like that. Same thing. We have to make the decision that sure, that stuff's in my past. Um, but when, when, I, when I accepted Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, I became a new creation. You know, I'm, I'm not the same person I was back then. So I don't have to claim that was me that that happened to. I can, I can claim that was the old person. He's dead and gone. That giant's buried over there somewhere. And I'm not going to allow that giant to come back again because he set me free. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. So I don't care what it looked like back then. Um, because, I've, because I've given my life to Jesus, he's wiped that slate clean. And I'm a brand new person. I'm a brand new person from the inside out. So that, you, see how, you see how I'm doing that there. When those thoughts come in, that's how you take a thought captive. You don't just accept it. You don't lay there and fear about it. Even if you're laying in bed at night and fear tries to get on you about something, you have to immediately take that thought captive and just start telling it what God's word says about it, what God's word says about you, what God's word says about you and your future. And as you'll do that, you'll find out that those things don't sink in there anymore like they used to. You know, sometimes I, I can remember times in my life where maybe it was fear about something. Those thoughts would come in and it would consume you. Like, you know, laying there in bed at night, can't sleep, you know, can't, miserable the next day because you didn't sleep the night before and all you can think about is whatever this thing is. Well, that ha happens because those thoughts get in and take root and just start spreading out. But if we immediately take those things captive, they never get a chance to do that. So we need to do that. I didn't plan on talking about any of that, so I'm just believing that's a God thing for somebody this morning. Maybe, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're a, maybe you used to be an addict. Maybe that was something you used to deal with too. You know, a, a lot of people have those thoughts come in that, well, I'm just, I'm, I, I, there's always a chance I'm going to go back to it. And you always have those thoughts come in. You're like, I had, I had a stressful day today, so I'm just going to, I'm just gonna, one time, I'm just going to go back and do this one time. You'll have these, you'll have these thoughts come in like that. Same thing. We have to take those things captive and recognize that Jesus set me free from that, and I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not doing that again. We've got to take those thoughts captive. We've got to make them come in obedience with Christ, with who Jesus says we are, with what Jesus says about them, about our thoughts, about whatever they are. We need to make sure we're, we're taking those things captive and making our thoughts line up with what the Word of God says. Um, that means that we have to remind those giants that they're dead. We have to talk to them. We have to, get, we have to get bold with them. We have to get some attitude about them and, say, and remind them who they are and the fact that they're dead and the fact that they're not coming back in our life again. We need to remind them that Jesus redeemed me from every single curse and I'm not gonna put myself back in that again because Jesus redeemed me from that. That's something we need to do. Uh, we have to see ourselves the way that God sees us and remind ourselves who we are because of, because of the fact that we're a child of God, because God's our daddy. You know, We need to remind ourselves of that constantly. Even Paul had to do this. Even Paul had to do this. We already talked about some of one of his giants. We already talked about some of what was, in, what was in his past, and he had to do this himself. And we can see how he handled it because he tells us. In Philippians 3 and verse 13, uh, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, he said, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. He says, I, preach on, I, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. 
So it all comes back to focus. It all, it all comes back from taking our eyes off our giant, not focusing on our giant anymore, but looking ahead to the awesome future that God has for us. Looking, looking in the word and, and seeing ourselves doing the kind of things that Jesus talked about us doing, seeing ourselves through, through God's eyes instead of, instead of through that giant that we defeated in our lives already. That's what we gotta do there. We have to look ahead where we're living in the precious promises that God's made to us. Uh, we have to look ahead and look, uh, look, at, us, look at ourselves living um, in a place where we have everything that we need for life and godliness where God's already given it to us. We have to look at ourselves and see us living that way. We have to look at ourselves and see ourselves as a joint heir with Christ. You know, basically we have to see ourselves the way that the word does. Um, we have to see ourselves as somebody who's free because Jesus has set us free. You know, that, that's the bottom line right there is we have to see ourselves that way. Uh, when we do, uh, man, when we do, and it's an awesome thing when you do, when you start seeing yourself the way that God does, uh, there, our giants are gonna stay dead. You know, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna bring those things back up again. They're gonna stay dead over there. And we're gonna live our lives pressing on to the incredible future that God has for every single one of us here. You know, if you guys don't know it, if you guys don't know it, God has something incredible planned for you. I don't, I don't care if you're, if you're eight years old or 80 years old or older than that or younger than that. Uh, God, God says he, he knew you um, when you were still in your mama's womb. You know, that's what he told the prophet Jeremiah, and that applies to us too. He's known you that long. And ever since then, he's just been planning out these amazing plans for this awesome destiny. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures is where it says that eyes not seen and ears not heard and neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God's prepared for those who love him. But what's that saying in, in modern day English? That's saying that God has plans for you that are beyond your wildest dreams. You know, a lot of times we see ourselves and all we can see is ourselves and a lot of our giants. And we have really small vision because of that. All we can see ourselves is as somebody who's hurt and broken and never going to be anything more than that. But that's not what God sees when he sees us. He sees us as one of his kids with the same, with the same inheritance that Jesus has, with the, same rights, with the same rights and privileges that Jesus had. In fact, when Jesus looked at us, when Jesus looked through the future and saw us, he said, you're going to do the works that I did and even greater than these. You know, that, you think about all the awesome stuff that Jesus did. He said, I'm gonna, he said you're going to do exactly what I did and even more than that. I mean, you talk about having a bigger picture of yourself and how God can use you in a bigger destiny. Jesus walked up to Lazarus, in a, who'd been dead and stinking for two or three days, and walked up to him and said, hey, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. And he, it wasn't just like it was, it wasn't like he was in there hiding behind the stone, like he had to hop out wrapped up in grave clothes. He'd been dead and stinking for a few days. In fact, people actually told Jesus, don't open that tomb, it's gonna smell bad. And that's what they were saying. And that's the kind of stuff that happened in his life. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you're gonna do those things that even greater. So I encourage you to stop looking at yourself through the light of the giant. Stop looking at yourself through the light of who you used to be. Stop looking at yourself through the light of, of, of the problems and addictions and sickness and bad habits and, and a hurt. Stop seeing yourself that way and start seeing yourself as somebody who can do the works of Jesus and even greater. And as you'll do that, you'll find out that, sure, sure you're going to still face giants. I, don't, I mean, I don't care how strong of a Christian you are, how long you've been a believer, you're still going to come across giants. But the key is, is that you're going to recognize who you are. You're going to use your authority, and those giants are going to fall every single time. Every single time. Not just sometimes, but every single time. So, man, that was good. None of that was planned either. So the moment, the moment that you start to see a giant come up in your life, um, just remember that it's scared of you. Every single time. I don't care what giant it is. I don't care how, how scary it looks for that moment. Take a moment and remind yourself, that giant's scared of me because of who I am, because of who my dad is who's backing me up right now. 
We need to know that. Uh, because, because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, because you walk in your God-given authority, uh, you have the authority to tell it where to go and how to get there. You know, that, that's the authority that we carry. And when we slay those giants, leave them. You know, don't ever go pick them back up again. I don't care if the people that you love and respect the most try to pick that giant back up and throw it in your face. Don't take it. Leave it over there. Leave it dead. Don't ever pick that thing up again. And focus on who you are because of Jesus. And nothing will ever be able to take you down again. See yourself through God's eyes. So many times, we, like I said, we see ourselves through our flaws and mistakes. Stop doing that. See yourself how God sees you. Read through the word and every promise that he makes towards you, everything he says about how much he loves you, even when he compares himself uh, to, the, to the father of the prodigal son where you know, the prodigal son had gone off and done everything wrong, and he was just trying to come back and basically beg a, a place to, to be a slave to his father. And when he came back, the, the, the father wasn't looking for a slave. He was looking for his son. And basically as, as, the, as the son started coming out, the father took, you know, basically took off running and said, we're going to throw him a, a party. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to just have a big celebration because my son's home again. That's how God always sees us. He always sees us that way. He always loves us that much. And we need to see our, yeah, this, is, this is good, isn't it? I didn't plan to talk about this either, but this is, this is good. This is, this is how God sees us and we need to know that. So maybe, maybe the giant that you're facing right now is that you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe that's a giant that you're facing. Well, that's a giant that we can take care of this morning. That's a giant that we can take care of this morning. He died on the cross to pay, for, to pay the price for your sin, that's part of what he did. Um, but he also paid the price for your hurt. Uh, he also paid the price for your suffering uh, so that you don't have to. So you don't have to carry it. So you don't have to carry that anymore. And to gain that freedom and to gain a relationship with Jesus, Romans 10.9 says that if you declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's all there is to it. So I'm gonna ask you all to bow your head, close your eyes for just a moment here. And the reason I do this is I want you to look at your heart. I want, you to, I want you to look at yourself and I want you to say, have I done this? Have I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Is that a choice I've made? Do I know for sure that I'm going to heaven one day? And if, if you're not sure, if you know you've never made that choice, but you want to leave here knowing that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, if you want to leave here knowing that he who the Son sets free has set you free because you're, you're one of his kids, because you're his brother, if you want to leave here knowing that, uh, all you have to do is pray this prayer, and I'm, I'm going to pray it with you. So if you want to leave here today knowing that Jesus is Lord of your life, that you're free because he set you free, I want you to raise your hand, and I want to pray with you. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to do that, that's a giant you want to take down this morning. And I'll give you all just a moment here. I know this is, this is the faithful church people because it's daylight savings time and it's going to snow at some point later on in the day. So I know this is the faithful right here, but I just want to give you all just a chance here because this is so important to God. So I'll wait just a moment here. All right, well, maybe, maybe you're already a Christian. You know, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just a moment longer here. Uh, maybe you're a Christian, but maybe you've gone back and picked up some of those giants you left. Uh, maybe, that, maybe there was something you were struggling with, some sin or, or something that you knew, you, know, knew, you knew that God wanted you free from that, and you went back and picked it up again. Um, I want you to know that God, wants to forgive, God has forgiven you, and he wants to help you get cleansed and free from that thing. Uh, 1 John 1, 9 is actually a scripture written to Christians. 
And it says that when we confess our sin to him, that he's faithful to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? If we're a Christian and we've, we were following God and with something distracted us and we walked off the path and started doing something we knew we weren't supposed to do, Jesus says, all you got to do is confess that to me, come back to me. And he said, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to give you a clean slate. Whatever that was you were doing, I'm going to wipe you clean from the inside out and just take that away from you completely. That's what he does. So if you can say, that's me, I, I know I'm a Christian, but I also know I've got some sin in my life. I know I've walked away from God and I'm ready to come back this morning. If you'll raise your hand, I want to pray with you. If you want to, if you want to get forgiveness from that sin, if you want to get complete freedom, if you'll raise your hand, I'll pray with you this morning. You can leave here knowing that you've got that. So if there's anybody at all, I'll give you all just a moment here. This is important too. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? God gets excited about this right here because this is, this is your way of telling God I'm coming back. I'm not going to be distracted anymore. I'm going to be who you called me to be. I'm going to, I'm going to do the works of Jesus and greater. I'm not going to let this stuff hold me back anymore. So I'll give you all just a moment longer if you want to pray that prayer. I see that hand too. Anybody else? All right. Well, let's, let's, uh, what we're going to do here is we're just going to pray and agree together on this. We're going to pray exactly what the Word of God says there, and God's going to do exactly what He said. He's going to forgive us and wipe our slate clean. Uh, even, even if you didn't raise your hand, we're going to all pray this together. So even if you didn't raise your hand, as I, as I pray this prayer, repeat it after me and pray it from the heart, and the same thing will happen. God will forgive you, and man, He'll just wipe your slate clean. So let's, let's agree together on this. Right? Let's pray this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned, but I thank you that you're faithful to forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross for me. I give you my sin. I give you my hurt. I give you my suffering. And you give me freedom in life. And I receive that right now. And I declare that you're the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. You can keep up with fresh content, find out more about our upcoming events, and give to support Legacy Church all online at LegacyFamily.tv. From all of us here at Legacy Church, have a blessed week.